Friends, welcome to Casting Nets, a podcast about real life and living faith. I am one of your co-hosts, Pastor Dave Rudat. I am here for the man who is known for his wit and playfulness, Pastor Will Harley. He is here. I have never heard playfulness used with my name. Playfulness, yes. Just the idea. (laughs) That's right. He used magnanimous. I can't even say the word. Magnanimous. Magnanimous to describe <laughs> me. So I was like, what three, four syllable word can I use to describe him? And that was the word that came playful, to mind. Playful. Playful. Playfulness. Three, I, three syllable I words. I mean, you could have used donkey. <laughs> well, <laughs> the next time I want to give you a compliment. Smart donkey. <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> the next time I want to give you a compliment, I'll, I'll ask you first. What compliments can I give you, Will? <laughs> Instead of actually complimenting you, so then it it'll, won't have any effect whatsoever because a compliment is meant to be something that you don't expect. Uh, we are from we are keep continuing our journey through the pastoral epistles, and I really appreciate the pastoral epistles, uh, not just because uh, they are God's word, which they are, but they're uh, scriptures written to pastors from pastors, a dignified conversation between two pastors, which kind of brings our helps us helps me anyway, uh, to, to bring up our game in our uh, conversations with one another here on Casting Nets. And so today our topic is First Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to be talking about controversial issues such as role of men and women. We're also going to be talking about Jesus. Uh, he's in this te- section as well. And before we do, uh, just a disclaimer, these are two pastors who are just sharing their thoughts. Uh, we hold ourselves to the scriptures and uh, the cross of Christ and the confessions. Uh, but not everything we say is the positions or opinions of the churches that we serve or the church body that we are a part of. So, dear listener, if you listen to something and you're going, I'm not sure that's right, I'm not sure what does pastor mean by that, uh, talk to us face-to-face. That most, of the peop- most of the comments we get are when people talking to us face-to-face, and we welcome that, actually, because then we can have that dialogue right away and a lot of uh, confusion and... Um, unsettled nature can be settled right away and correction can be happened right away as well but you can also email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com you can go to our facebook page casting nets and contact us that way or you can go to our fireside uh website and also contact us there there as well there's a contact info So 1 Timothy chapter 2 starts off with prayer. And usually that's a, a, uh, a topic that people are maybe a little bit uncomfortable with, especially when it's who you're praying for. Because who does uh, Paul say we should be praying for? For kings and for all those in authority. Well, he also says for all people. And for all people. even He the people starts off with all <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he says, and by the way, right. all people, people also include kings and those in authority right in case you you know all people isn't just the guy hey you know he's next door to me and i kind of tolerate him but i really hate the politics of so and so um all people all people even the people you don't get along with um well no he doesn't say that he just says all people (laughs) (laughs) oh so people you don't get along with are no longer have the definition of people is that what you're saying I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Uh, Paul is saying everyone uh, to pray for, uh, Christians should pray for everyone. Uh, that's, a, that's a good reminder for us. I, I mentioned this in a sermon I had on Sunday, just the idea of how uncomfortable it was for some in our congregation last year during the pandemic when we prayed for our Democratic governor and our Republican president at the same time in the same breath, same paragraph. Some would say, well, wait a minute, I'll pray for one, but I won't pray for the other one. Uh, the other one's a jerk, or the other one's evil, or the other one is, you know, taking away our rights and w- or whatnot. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, uh, reminds Timothy to pray for those, all those in authority. Why? 
uh, that we might live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That idea of praying for a quiet life is a resounding theme uh, that Paul writes. He also talks about this in First Thessalonians. Um, we have it in our evening prayer in our uh, hymnal, which I really appreciate, just praying for a peaceful and quiet life. Well, you know, I think it even, and, and I'm, it's interesting that you brought up that, you know, we um, <clears throat> we have a hard time praying for somebody who we think transgresses our rights. Um, and, and I think that's, that's it, it, it's interesting in the scriptures when we talk about prayer and when we talk about how we approach someone else, rights don't come into this. Um, Paul many, many times uh, recognizes himself as a slave to Christ, um, you know, that, that, that his, he forgoes his perceived rights in the service of other people because this is what is good and God-pleasing and, and this is what Christ is doing for him and allowing him to do. And you see that that sort of coming up in this in this information with Timothy, as you know, you had said, you know, this is good and God pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to and notice he says, the knowledge of the truth. Not the knowledge of your rights, not the knowledge of what you desire, or all people to come to the knowledge of of how you think you should be perceived in this world, but no, the knowledge of the truth. The ultimate truth is, and then he'll go on and say that, which we will get to. But but that should be part of our prayer. Our prayer isn't to say, okay, I'm, I'm praying that he upholds this or upholds that so that I can live this way. It's, no, I pray that that peace and that prosperity is something that we can see in an external fashion so that I can do the work of the gospel, which is God working in an internal way on people as I interact with them. Yeah, exactly. That and also that we as Christians live a life that is free from um, chaos and free from violence. Uh, Luther talked about that in his uh, his uh, um, lectures in Luther's works, which I there is one line that I really liked that really resonated with me when he said, "Only thing of Luther that you really liked." The, <laughs> 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 All right. Thanks for the correction. No, the one thing I really liked from Luther's uh, uh, from this particular Luther's workbook on this particular uh, lecture that he gave is he said. We must pray on behalf of evil men. Yeah, and that's that is a that you know one of those I don't understand mind blown type circumstances where you say, but why? Why do I have to pray for evil men? And the answer is because they need Christ too, because Jesus died for them. Right, and and just the idea of praying for a peaceful and quiet life that the evil men can be the route that you would live a peaceful and quiet life that God can lead them, whatever the decisions that they make, even though their moral character is bad, even if their intentions toward the church is bad, God can also answer your prayer and make it so that you as an individual living in this earth can be living in a time when there's no chaos, when you can actually plant your crops and harvest them, uh, when you can have a job that provides for yourself and your family. Uh, Those kinds of things can be accomplished by evil men being in authority. Well, and I and, and, and by you praying for them. And 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 just as a highlight too for our for our members and and people who are using this as a study, I, I think we have to get out of the mindset that the Christian Church can only exist in in America as we have desired for it to be. The Christian Church is in China. The Christian Church is in Africa. It is under all sorts of different um, external political avenues middle east it's in the middle east and and even in and the christian church was there when nebuchadnezzar destroyed jerusalem and in the christian church was there when cyrus the great destroyed babylon and the christian church remained and then, and why does it remain because god so desires for the truth to become known and to be shared and 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 until the end of the world the word remains right so so we got to get out of this mindset that that we can only we can only function as a church and, and, and do things as a church if this happens. And so we, we can't pray for certain things or certain people because that's going to dis, you know, affect the functioning of the church. No, it's going to maybe change how we function, but it won't affect the functioning of the church and the truth. And so let's pray for them. You know what? Oh, let's pray for the governor who doesn't make the decisions that we make and, and, and maybe make some poor decisions that, or we think is poor decisions, but say, you know, let the Lord's will be done. And, and hopefully they come to that and repent, right? Um, that's the goal. Um, 
why can't we why can't we pray for the the person that says you know I don't will I don't wish ill will on them but I ask that the Lord would bring them into faith right uh, however he will do that if he uses me or someone else yeah uh the, I would agree with that 100% and it is not easy to hear that I understand because we we're just we are in a culture at least in America we're in this culture and mindset of uh the freedoms that we enjoy the freedoms of religion are, it, uh, that's what our church needs in order to operate. No, the church doesn't need the freedom of religion in order to operate. It can survive, and it does thrive under situations where there isn't freedom of religion. Just look at the the world around us. Look through history, and you'll find that the church exists even when there is no freedom of religion. So don't don't tr- don't uh, confuse the two. Uh, your your job to to share the truth of Jesus Christ and what He has done is is done even. Uh, even when the freedom of religion isn't there. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just ask this question because I, I we have a lot to unpack in in chapter two, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot, but there's a lot here. But but on this idea of prayer, I th- would it be a fair assumption to say that that Paul, um, throughout Scripture, we have have these beautiful examples of of what prayer should be and how we should set prayer up. But do you do you would you say that Paul is giving this indication of what prayer should be. I mean, so a couple of things of, first of all, Paul is is really referring and talking to a believer, right? He's not talking to an unbeliever. He's not saying, okay, every unbeliever pray. Right. He's, he's talking to a believer. And 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 listen, look at what he's saying. Petitions. Things we bring to God, right? Um, regular prayers, just, just however we assemble it. But then he goes into intercessions. That's bringing other people to God, right? Um, and then giving thanks. And I, I look at this and I think I think to myself, I'm like, you know, how many times in our society have have Christians got it backwards when when we are confronted with somebody who's in 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 who's hurt or suffering or or in need, our go to response is, we'll pray about it. We'll just pray about it. It it doesn't seem that that's the comment that Paul is saying as he's giving Timothy this guidance as a pastor, granted it's a pastor epistle, he's not saying just go walk up to someone and say, pray about it. He's saying pray for them. Pray pray for them. You pray for it because because, okay, so if I walk up to somebody, I don't know if they're a Christian or not, and saying, well, pray about it. Well, God won't listen to them if they are not found in the body of Christ. I mean, that is very, very clear throughout Scripture. God will not hear them, Right? But he will hear me. I am in the body of Christ. He will hear hear all those baptized into him. Um, they are his children. Uh, take five minutes and say, you're hurting. Let's pray and pray. Yeah, that was not the direction I thought you were going. I thought you were going and that people were, would say, well, we don't really need to pray for that in church because... It's too small a thing. I'm going in for surgery. Well, and, I could go I, that way too if you want. And the pastor said, "Can we pray about it in church?" And like, oh no, no, only say that for the big things, uh, or you know, when we really need it. You know, we have the situations huge, so now let's pray. Where Paul is going at the direction of pray for but, all situations. So it's, you start with prayer. This is what you do as a Christian: is pray, not just wait for the circumstances to give you the reason to pray. But but see, but. I think if we approach it as every Christian has the 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 right, the privilege, and obligation to take five minutes and have a prayer for the people that they interact with when they meet them instead of just saying, we'll pray about it, and then walk on their merry way, they will bring more to me for corporate prayer. Sure. Because they've already prayed about it, and they're like, you know what, now it's on my heart and mind, and pastor, could you could you pray for this too? We we don't give any credit, and this is this is one of the huge problems within Christianity today. I think we call ourselves Christians, and we live as far from it as possible. We say we we say, well, prayer is an important part of life. Prayer is an important part of my walk in Christ. And then when someone needs help, we don't stop and say, let let let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Let us pray. Right. You know. Um. Instead, they say, well, we'll take it to God. And then I walk around. I, I told them what to do. Right. It's okay. <laughs> Or 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 on social media, I'll put the emoji down of two hands folding in prayer. Like this is like we're embar- this is part of my sermon too. Is like we're embarrassed to pray, as if and yes, we know it, it, it's weird, 
uh, to pray for somebody in their presence, it's it it takes something to get over. You have to get over that. You know what's weird? What's weird is doing it over the phone. And and I I've got to get better at this. But you know when someone like oh someone calls me on the phone and they and they say Pastor son so is that in the hospital or son's I'm I'm having this. And and my first response is I am going to keep you in my prayers and I do I write their name down I right. have a I have a prayer journal at home I write their name down and I keep them in my nightly prayers and I say okay prayer for so and so I have got to start getting into the habit and I'll admit it I I and I've known some pastors who do this but it's so awkward it's so awkward to say let's let's pray over the phone it's like sure mm, yeah that's that something doesn't feel right. <laughs> But but you get over it. I mean, when my wife and I pray together, it was weird for us, and we're we're married to each other. You know, we share each other's secrets. We know each other better than we know any other human being, and yet, her and I praying out loud is still weird. But it is awesome once you get over that. Right, and 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 I would, and I'm not saying that prayer is a sacrament. It's not. It's our privilege to go to the Lord, and and as as children speak to their parents, we get to speak to our heavenly Father. Uh, who has done everything for us and says, "I desire to hear from you." Now, will he? Al- does he already know? Will he already have placed things into motion to solve all the things according to his will? Absolutely, he has and he will. But you know what? That's like my kids coming up to me and saying, "Dad, I'm hungry." But you know what? I already had in plans what dinner was going to be, and they're going to like it, and it's going to be fine. Um. So, but that doesn't mean I don't want them to not come to me and sure. say I'm hungry. Yeah. Uh. And. The, um, in First Timothy, where we have Paul talking about prayer, he says this has an effect. This has an effect that we would live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. Uh, this is good and pleasing to God our Father because God's going to you know, act on these prayers. But most importantly, this is the topic I'm probably you uh, were mentioning before and want to get to, is most importantly God wants us to know the truth of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. Why don't you talk about that, Will? Well, you know... It, w- Paul has this beautiful, beautiful uh, tendency, and this is maybe where I get it, and, and I get chastised from it. Paul brings us Not always. Well, no, you have said that too, and and when we were translating stuff, you're like, always got to run to the cross. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what Paul does, right? Paul Paul brings us dragging, uh, kicking and screaming back to the cross. You know, one of the things that that I think um, we we try to do in in Christian. In, in our Christian life, is we try to say, okay. I think I said that just once. Well. I know, but I keep bringing it up. And it was, it was just funny. One it text. was <laughs> just one text. But anyway. but it's one of those things where. But I think in our in our Christian walk, we it's very hard not to think in in terms of progression, right? That we start off here, we start off in the waters of baptism, we start off growing and understanding uh, what is it our Lord has done. We hear about the uh, the crucifixion every now and then. We maybe get reminded of it, but I have progressed beyond that. And and Paul, he he, as he's giving pastoral advice, he's saying you 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 don't progress beyond this. And and so he says, what is good and God pleasing? It's good and God pleasing that they know the truth. What is the truth? Um, that. There's one God, and there's one person who goes between the Heavenly Father and us, and that one person is Jesus, who, by the way, gave himself. He uses the word ransom. That's that idea of, of, the, of the thing that buys us back, right? Um, what a wonder, right? What did he do? He gave himself. Go back to the cross. You can't. You can't talk about why we are doing the things that we're doing. Why are we bringing people to the Lord in our intercessions? Why are we Why are we preaching? Why are we teaching? Why do we even care about someone else if it isn't for the simple fact that just as Christ died for me and ransomed me, he died for you and ransomed you. And you need to know that, dear listener. You need to know that, dear sinner. You need to know that, Mr. So-and-so on the street who says, why is it that I'm suffering from this or I'm having a problem with that? The the the, the reality is I'm going to bring you before your heavenly father who made you his own through his son who died for you. Okay, now let's do this. <laughs> what can I do? Um, because, because he found you worthy to die for, I find you worthy to serve. Um, what a, what a, what a, wow. There you go. Um, God and good, God pleasing life, good in, 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 in a life of dignity is, is not to say, look at me, look at how I am on the hog, but to say, um, no one is beneath me for me to serve as Christ has served them. 
as he has served me. Yeah, that's uh, wonderfully and beautifully said. Uh, so, and Paul continues in verse 7 talking about this is the this main message of Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. This is the reason why Paul is a herald and an apostle. He is, this is, uh, he is his calling to tell us and be the teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth, that he's going to tell us the main message about Jesus, but he's also going to teach us other things about from God and his word, which we've already alluded to when we talk about prayer, which is important for us as a foundation for the next section that comes up. Can can you just unpack for me, and, and maybe it's a, it's a good thing, because we don't speak in these terms um in our in in the life that we live in in the world in the setting that we are, heralds aren't a thing. Um, can you maybe unpack that idea of a herald? Just the messenger. I don't. I don't have the Greek word there for. I, I don't have the Greek either. But when I hear the word, okay, so this is gonna this is going to express my geekdom. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite Marvel characters is Silver Surfer. I don't know if anybody who knows Marvel. You might know who Silver Surfer is, but he is he's got all these cosmic abilities, right? And he rides around on a silver surfboard. <laughs> but he is the herald of Galactus. And so he and, and that, that idea of the herald is he speaks for. So his words are the same words as if they are the the words of of the one who sent him. And I think that's a kind of, and we don't we don't get that. Uh, ambassador maybe comes close to that idea, uh, but there's a different word for that than in, in Greek for for us to be able to understand. But the idea of a herald is someone who speaks for right, um, in in the place of. So when they speak, is as if the other is speaking. Right. Yep. The that's just kerux is the Greek word here. I was looking up as you were talking. So the proclaimer, the one you have a message to to share with others. So yeah, that's the, uh, the the concept of the herald. We have a message to proclaim. The apostle Paul had a message to proclaim to his readers and to us as well, and uh, so that serves as a foundation. Go ahead. But, but I think it's an, I think it once again it's important. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's important that we have that understanding that these are God's words spoken through Paul because what he's going to say is going to be stuff that we're going to be like, no, that was old style. That that was from before, and we don't have to do that now. Right, right. Or just as Paul's personal opinion or his uh, his uh, his uh, cultural. Uh, sensitivities at that time. So now, so anyway, the next section, uh, dear listener, if you're looking ahead in your Bibles, you'll see that, whoa, this is some big stuff here. This is some controversial uh, things. This is some uh, a matter of great concern, uh, and it's counterculture. It's not what our society says, because he's going to talk about the roles of men and women in the church. So now is it just in the church or and, and I think that's something that we should maybe talk about just very, very slightly, you know, because sometimes I think we have and there are church bodies that will separate out the roles of men and women and say this is only specifically church. Um, uh, the, the Missouri Synod, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod will say that 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 the words of Paul in these particular sections are just specifically for church and specifically for practicing spiritual authority. As well, opposed to, as opposed to, these are things for society, society, and 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 a general practice of the high calling that God has given to both. How would I answer that question? Well, just looking at context leads us to say that he is talking to Christians. He's talking to Timothy. He's talking to a group of of Christians who follows after Timothy. So I guess I would fall under that. This section would be more about this is what is true for the matters of. The church, I think, elsewhere talks about what it means for society. I, w- I, you know, and and I understand exactly what you're saying. I, the the way that he is approaching this, though, I would actually say is what what and and how you would I like how you approach it. This is countercultural because the culture, especially the culture that we live in today, is you know everybody everybody's equal. Everybody can do what they want. Everybody is treated the same. Everybody has every has the say for everything. And and what we're going to see here in in this is, no God has a has a calling for each, and and He doesn't remove abilities from from anyone. But He says you use your abilities in an appropriate way in the, in the way that God has asked it for you to do that in the service of others. And and I think it is you're right. It is to Christians, 
but I think it is more wide sweeping where we would say, and, and this is one of those uh, discussions that the, the COP is having on the idea of the roles of men and women. How does this, how does this work, right? The vocational calling of men and women, how does this work within not only the church body, but, but in the, in the family, in your family at home, my family at home, and how we should interact in the world around us that is going to be countercultural to, to this. Yeah. I, see, I, I really struggle with whether this is the apostle Paul speaking of the, this is what he wants for the whole culture of the Greek world at that time, but he's speaking to the church, which is going to be influencing culture. So it's like you, you start in the church for the reason of, this, you, you have these roles, and we haven't even defined the roles yet. We're just still dancing around the issue. But you have these roles within the church, and the church is modeling this is how this should be. That's going to influence the culture. But it, it's it completely backwards if the church says, culture, you should be like this. Whereas in the church, we're not acting like that way. So we should start and be the model in the church itself so that we could influence the, the culture that we are around. And I, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. But it, but like I said, as you said, it starts in the church, but it's modeled in the church families. And and then it's and, and then that is modeled, you know, um, <clears throat> it is modeled in the in in the culture around, you know, I, I heard I forgot her name, um, but she was a young woman who who went on and on a YouTube page and said, you know, I'm tired of I'm tired of of women telling me that that I can't serve my husband um, as a stay-at-home mom, one who makes sure that when he comes home, the house is clean, the dinner is made, and and that um, he is ready to engage with me on, on the level that he's supposed to be. I'm tired of being told that I can't do that and that that is a bad thing um, when that is a good thing for, for me to do, and, and I have every right to do that in God. Um, and I thought that was really kind of a bold statement to be able to make, but that's sort of what Paul is saying is, is that it's countercultural in the sense that the culture is going to look at it and shift and, and go to the ways that the sinful nature wanted to go. But, but even as Christians and how we interact with the culture is going to be different. You know, um, a, a man's position or, or, or the role that he's going to take within his family is going to be different than what the culture is going to say, not just in the church. See, one of the things I wanted, to, the reason I brought it up, just to, before we move on, and we need to move on, but the reason I brought it up is because so often we compartmentalize what happens inside the church, church. walls and what happens at home oh. and what happens out in the... And that's not what Paul is saying. And I, I don't want to give that impression that, oh, this only is for the church. And oh, we walk through those hollowed four walls of the church and this is how we conduct ourselves. But that's really not how we conduct ourselves. No, this is this is the calling. God intended for... When, when, when he created Adam and Eve and he created this idea of marriage and, he, and, 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 and family was the beginning of the, the, the social structure, when he created all of these things, he created a calling for, for each of the, the people participating in this to, to engage in. So there's a calling for the husband. There's a calling for the wife. There's a calling for the men and calling for, for the women. Um, men are called to a, a, a standard. Women are called to a standard. Not because they don't have the abilities to do other things. I'm not saying that at all. It's because they are called to serve one another in these capacities. Right, exactly. And, and just to clarify, we are not saying that one is greater than the other or one is more inferior than the other or one is being oppressed by the other. Uh, this is a mutual, both sides are mutually doing some things that they don't really naturally want to do, but it's for the benefit of the other. And I, th I think we sometimes we just think, well, it's the women always, uh, maybe I'm getting way too ahead of myself, but the women that, that are carrying a greater burden. And I think you and I, Will, both have been very strongly stressing this falls under the the guy's responsibility is much bigger than what guys want to care to admit. Oh, I I am a and I am not afraid to admit it. I put a ton of weight on Christian fathers and Christian husbands, uh, and Christian men in general, because I believe God places a ton of weight on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and you don't necessarily see that in First Timothy, but it's there. Uh, for example, in verse 8, where he says, Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. And just like in Ephesians, where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. A lot of husbands will read that and say, Oh, that's easy. I just got to love my wife. Of course I love her. I, I naturally do that. As, as Christ, Christ loved, loved the, the church. church. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> so so that means getting down, spitting in the mud, 
and and getting your hands dirty so that you can you can you can give that personal touch to the person ailing in your family. It means um, being the one who takes the time to stop when when your wife is hurting and she's trying to hide the hurt and 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 circumvent it so you don't have to worry about it. Um, but yet you stop and said, "Who touched my cloak?" Right as you turn and seek out, I gotta fix this. I gotta fix this. I gotta heal this. Um, that was in. in I, I leave heaven, which is paradise. Yes, to fix this for you. For you. For yeah. you. And I, I, will, I have. I have nothing getting. I'm not getting anything out of this. Right. And I'm gonna. In fact, I'm gonna go to the point of death, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna debase myself um, and carry this burden for you, so that you don't have to. Um, so yeah, yeah, husband. If you're doing that, you're right. Easy peasy. Um. <laughs> so again, here with men, every place to pray, guys would say, "Oh, that's easy prayer." You know what? How hard is prayer? And we just talked. We talked at length about how embarrassing it can be to pray in front of other people, or to actually do the praying instead of just talking about it, or talking as if you do it, or or play act. Or uh, how about this? Um, does the husband or the father or the men even know what's going on that they could bring it before the Lord in prayer? Yeah, exactly. Praying for for their families and praying what's going. on. I mean, how yeah. many times does it? You know, you got to ask my wife. I don't know what's going on because we're disconnected. That God's not saying. God, yeah, yeah. The Lord is saying through Paul. Yeah, that's not an excuse. Be connected. Yeah, and as he's talking to men, he's saying lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. It's it it's not quite as heavy as as Christ loved the church in Ephesians, but it is still pretty heavy because guys like. To uh, argue, guys, that's not true. Guys, <laughs> guys like to you know uh, jostle for who's better than the other person. Who's 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 the who's the smartest guy in the room? Uh, they like to compete with one another, and this arguing or uh, anger with one another implies that guys have to make sure if you've got a problem with somebody else, you've got to do the hard work of actually talking to them about their sin and and absolving them of their sin, telling them that their sins are forgiven. You have got, If you've got some anger things, you've got to work that out. Uh, and, and you just can't sit there, well, I'm angry and I have a right to be angry or I like my anger. I'm uh, My anger fuels how I do things. Uh, so are you saying that part of being a man is actually putting off your own pride. I think that's what Paul is saying. I would agree. I, I would. With, with I would a, whole, totally agree that that a part of a part of um, well, and and this goes into the prayer aspect as well. A part of being a man is recognizing I can't do it all, and I need help, and I need help of my Lord, and 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 maybe the help I need of the Lord, and I go to Him in prayer, is so I don't. I don't do this in anger and I don't do this as an argument, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the one seeking peace and I'm the one trying to bring it together. Yeah. So it's a higher calling than what it first appears. So again, Paul is speaking as an apostle, as one sent from God. This is, even though he does say, I want men in every place to pray, he's speaking as an apostle from verse 7. So he is speaking as one sent from the Lord with a message from the Lord. So don't look at, I know uh, Will and I were just talking about this before the podcast and how people take these verses and say, well, this is just Paul's personal opinion or his cultural, he's shaped by the culture around him or the times in which he lived. Uh, This is Paul speaking as one sent from God. But you know, I and I'm 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 just going to say this here. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, um, we need to before you if you want to try to follow that line of logic and say that this is Paul speaking from from oh that was old fashioned and this is whatever in this culture, go back, go back, and do an actual study of of Roman Greco Roman culture during this time period, and you will find out that what he is saying is counter to that culture too. Yeah. So, so he's, he, so, oh, that's just what they did back then. No, it, it's not. The, 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 the scriptures, Christianity has always been countercultural. Um, Christianity has always given more abilities for women to live out their life in Christ than any other culture has given abilities to women to live in, in any setting in, in any part of the world. Um, the, the, the fact that what he's going to say about women and what he's going to say about men and how to engage with one another is more freeing 
than what we are doing today in our culture by saying live any way you want, which is really saying do what you want at the expense of someone else. Whereas what Paul is saying is no, everything you do is with someone else in your sight. Mm-hmm. And that is more freeing and more life-giving and more, uh, more, more uh, with the idea of bringing us together as community and, and functioning as a community than it is for, for us to have this false understanding of, well, I can do whatever I want at the expense of someone else. Because that's always what it is, right? That, that's that chaos you were talking about. Um, I can do whatever I want at the expense of someone else, and I don't care because that's I, what I want. Right. Yeah, it's my right, right to yep. do that. Um, so, first of all, he talks about uh, vanity in verse 9, which is, we do have to culturally kind of unpack that. You mentioned that already, Will. Do you mind just culturally un- unpacking this whole idea of uh, Paul is looking at not to bring attention to oneself rather than bring attention to one's faith? Okay, well, so he, he, he he's talking, yes, I agree with you, he's talking about vanity, but he, he frames it in the sense of women. <clears throat> and and it's not um he's framing it in the sense of of you know women wearing respectable clothing modesty self you know being self controlled uh, some of the things that that you would say are are um maybe cultural in the sense you know braided hair as opposed to but I think the idea that he's coming across is this and 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 I'm gonna frame this in the sense of of today in the in in this women's movement that we are seeing. You know, we have this whole um, women's liberation movement where, where it's overtaken the, the nation. And women's liberation movement is women women deserve to be paid um, the same amount of money for doing the same job. I agree with that. If you have the same, if you're doing the same job as a guy, should you should be paid the same. But it's gone beyond that. And it's gone beyond that to, to you know, my body, women's, and my body, I can do whatever I want. But notice where that has turned, dear ladies who are listening. It has turned to... Dressing in scantily clad outfits, walking around um, in 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 sultry and lustful type, um, trying to induce lustful type thoughts. I'm just going to say two things on that. One, you're doing exactly what men have always wanted you to do. So that doesn't hurt us at all. <laughs> two, you have stripped yourself of the very gifts that God has given that you can share with that special person that God has, has made for you. So you've done yourself a disservice. Now, how does that play out in the world? Well, it plays out in the world where, where everyone is now viewing you in the way that you don't want to be viewed. And you've said that that is your freedom. And what Paul is saying is don't be so vain. Don't, don't be so vain in thinking that that is, that is freedom. No, freedom is saying I'm I'm going to I'm going to show respect for myself and show respect that that there's more to me than just the physical trappings that I have around me. There's more to me than this. So so dear ladies, yeah, you you want to be respected for your intellect. Amazing. Great. Dress the part. You you want to be respected for for what you bring to the table in a conversation. Amazing. Learn to speak well. Learn to write well, learn to communicate well, and 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 dress the part. You know, you don't have to you don't have to dress with all the 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 wiles and 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 strip yourself down because then you're playing right into the exact same thing that that you're trying to fight against. And here's what Paul is saying, and and, and I think that this is part of this is you are called to a higher calling. You are called to be something better than just what physically you think you are. And, and this is the part where people take offense to it. They're saying, well, Paul wants me to be covered up. No, Paul's trying to highlight the fact that you are called to something better, that it's not just your looks that people are going to judge you on, and they shouldn't judge you on them. But how do you, how do you circumvent that? You circumvent that by controlling yourself, right? You, you, I, can, I, can, I can, in some ways, control how someone else is going to look at me by the way I dress. I wholeheartedly agree. We had that conversation in our previous podcast about rural ministry, like what what should pastors wear, and and that cir- circumstance. And I I see that here as well, where it's not just it's not just Paul saying you can't have braided hair ever, or you can't wear gold ever, or don't don't bring a legalistic, but see the the message that he's trying to communicate here, uh, dear listener. That uh, and Will said it so well about you want people to know you for who you are and not how you look. And if you are upset that people are looking at you or looking at uh, viewing you just on how you look, 
maybe <laughs> I had a good and, and I'm going to steal this from Go ahead. I'm going to steal this from Pastor Winsberger because Pastor Winsberger um, he was dealing with uh, um, his daughter and, and his daughter's friend and then when she was in high school and uh, his her daughter said that you know one of her friends came and always kind of dressed very not appropriate yeah suggestive suggestive um, not appropriately and and the daughter was saying to to Pastor Winsberger saying how. I, you know, she's just trying to get the, she's just trying to get the eye of a certain guy, right? She's dressing that way so that she could attract the eye of the certain guy that she really, she really liked, but she keeps attracting all of these other guys that are not to the caliber and, and Pastor Winsberger's response was golden. Any guy you want to attract won't be attracted by those things. And I thought that was, yes, bingo. Any guy that's worth their salt that you want who's going to see you for you and is going to interact with you because you are who you are and you are golden on the inside because of who you are by Christian character, they're not going to be attracted by by the, the sexiness that you try to portray to the world in your physical character. They're going to be attracted by who you are on the inside. Absolutely, and 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 this goes vice versa. By the way, you know he uses women on this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on. I'm gonna switch the the onus of it, and I'm gonna play it on on men too. Men, the the same thing. Um, you know, styling your hair so that it's just right, and and you know, um, being so egotistical that you're in the gym all the time to get these packs. Oh, I'm this manly. You know what? Know what a manly man is? A manly man is one who can accept their faults a one who can shut up and listen to to the women in their life who who he says he cares about and actually can be engaged with his children or engaged with the world in which he lives a person who who does not have to be the person in the forefront but is okay with working within the shadows so that he can uh, promote unity um and and let other people take the credit be a man like that be a man like that that doesn't have to have um um you know the his name on everything if you can do that you know what yeah, then you're going to be worth those ladies who who are looking for that, and and they're and 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 this is all going to work. It will. It's all going to work. Sorry, my it's it's just my little yeah yeah rant over. I know. Um. So, dear listener, if you're still listening after <laughs> after talking about vanity <laughs> and us navigating the uh, the countercultural thoughts about uh, how to dress yourself, now we're going to talk about. Um, uh, verse 11, which is a very controversial uh, statement as well, where it says a woman should learn in quiet manner with full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach her to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to continue in a quiet manner. This has actually been not, not only for the ministry, by the way, um, as to how, how does this work within, you know, calling uh, some congregations not within the Wells or, or the Missouri Synod, but have called women pastors but but in with our own synod um there's some people that have said they can't even read scripture in a bible study and use this as a as as a proof passage for that yeah and i'm not saying it's appropriate i'm just saying they have they have used it in the past yeah i it is uh but what paul is saying is not that women can't read the scripture or that women can't um teach because they certainly can teach but it's just this idea of authority in the church structure or authority in the home and he's going to give the reason for that in the the following verses because he talks about the order of creation being the foundation for why women should not um, should learn in a quiet manner and not be teaching with authority so so maybe be you know and 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 if we leave it at that we could keep it very vague and maybe that's maybe that's okay because then we won't get ourselves in trouble but but maybe if you're willing explain unpack what does it mean what what does authority mean in the church and in the home that is a good question i i would say just that a whole idea of um this is what we're going to do. I, I think of uh, decision-making. Uh, I, I know my wife and I always struggle with, with this idea of myself being ahead of the house, and but at the same time wanting to listen to her. 
you know, we we actually have to have hand gestures in our conversation where, because she'll say something and I feel like she's trying to lead me and say this is what we have to do, where that's not exactly what she's doing at all. She just wants to talk about it. And uh, I'm more inclined if we have an issue, let's fix it. Here's here's a, let's balance out the decision making and then let's go. And this is the decision I want to make. And then if there's a conversation after that, I view that as, a, as she's trying to usurp my authority, where authority, at least... In, at this moment, as we're doing this podcast, I'm thinking of it in terms of this is a person making a decision for what we're about to do. Yeah, and, and I've struggled with this too because you know I've I've um, there is a difference. I think you're right. There's a difference between between opinion and conversation and and things, and then the enactment of of this. Um, and and I think there is something to be said that that the the husband or the the men of the congregation step up to say this is this is finally what we are going to do and how we are going to pursue in enacting this. Um, I come from two different backgrounds, you know. Like I said, I came from the Missouri Synod and and then I came into the Wells, and and the Missouri Synod, you know, they they don't have a they don't really have a problem with with women voting in in things to enact it in the church, whereas in the Missouri or in the the Wisconsin Synod. We leave that up to the men to to do the voting to enact something into the effect of the church, um, and one of those things that I found interesting is is the fact that um, both sides I think f- both sides misconstrue what's that what's really going on, um, and I think it comes down to the understanding of of what is authority, and and I think that that really needs to be unpacked. And and I'm it's it's kind of interesting. It brings a smile to my face that you struggle with it because you're smarter than me. <laughs> and so if you don't get it, I don't feel so bad. <laughs> but but it's one of those things where where you know authority is is okay when when something has to be done, when discipline has to be mediated, when forgiveness has to be pronounced, when 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 action when when discussion is over and action needs to be taken place, I I believe that is the part of 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 authority. That is the headship principle of leadership, right? <clears throat> um, and and the the whole idea of it is so that the the people who are under that are able to live within the structure. And and that's one of the things that I I think that we forget is that it is not our it is not our wives' job to approach our children and and say, you know, dad forgives you and he loves you and and things no, it's our job. And it's not our wives' job to put away their anger and and settle down and then and go and make restitution. It is our job to go to our wives and say we're putting away our anger and we are we are pronouncing forgiveness right now to our children and to each other. It, it, it that that's the part of leadership and authority. I, and I and I think this is what is wrapped up into this idea, is that is that um, God is placing onto the shoulders of men, this idea of of making the scriptural decisions, and saying. There are consequences for everything that are that that happen, but uh, there's also pronunciation that has to be given, and and that pronunciation rests on not on our ladies, right? Yeah, I I struggle with what you're trying to say. And maybe we'll get back to it. But uh, going back to Paul in his First Timothy, maybe maybe it'll come clear to me as we as we have this conversation more. But Paul brings up the order of creation, and he brings up what happened at creation when Satan uh, deceived Eve mm-hmm. and Adam, who was right there. There was an there's an indirect conversation. So uh, as Paul says, he says, "For Adam was created first, then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but it was a woman who was deceived and became a transgressor." Okay. So in in reading that, you, you might think to yourself that somehow Paul is saying that women were less than Adam, and I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. It's not saying that she had a character flaw um, that makes Adam better than no. her. It, it says that she was deceived. He was right there. He should have been the head. He should have been the one acting with authority and saying, no, Satan, this is not what this house is going to do. Which, once again, comes back to my statement of when the, when a proclamation has to be made, when a statement has to be made, when something has to be given, that should have been his job. And, and what or, I s- or, or we as a family, this is what this, she made a decision for the family, for that first family, that they were going to go into sin. 
And he was the one that should have been making that decision. Uh, he should have been the one that was enacting and that does, he should have been the one that uh, um, displaying that authority, right? And I and I actually view Paul's words here as as less of a detraction for Eve and more of a detraction for Adam, because Adam was in the position to say no. Adam was actually his call was to say no. We're not going to do this. This is wrong. And 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 I and 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 I'm leading my family away from this. And he didn't. Um, you know, it's an interesting, it's, it's, uh, you speak from silence because, of course, we don't know because we all fell. What would have happened if, what would have happened if, um, instead, of, uh, instead of taking of the, whatever the fruit was, um, Adam did not receive it from his wife, but instead pronounced forgiveness for her and rejection of the sin? What would have happened? We don't know. What would have happened? What would have happened if instead of being led to hide, that Adam led his wife to hide from the Lord, um, Adam stood up and said, I was wrong. Right? Because right. he, he completely abdicates the, his spiritual headship because he blames God, he blames uh, Eve when God confronts him. So it, it, it's, it's, an interesting game, it. it's an interesting game of what if, but the whole, the whole family structure just fell apart. Sure. And it was fast. I mean, because we, like, we, we, we try to look at uh, what happened at the fall and try to micromanage, like, what happened first? Which, what, what was the first sin? And, and, we, and we navigate it and we say, you know what? It just went really fast and really far in a very short am- amount of time that where Adam uh, should have been, he was standing right there with his wife. He should have stepped in there. He did not. She became the leader of the household and said, this is the direction our house is going to go. We're going to eat this fruit. Uh, and here, Adam, you're, you're going to eat this as well. And, um, and, and, and this is the mentality, and this is what I was, and, and this helps to explain a little bit of what I was saying is, when things need to be pronounced, it should come from the Father. Because that is his role. That, that, that this is one that the, and, and I'm not trying to say it in, in, a, in a way that I'm underplaying the conversation. No, those conversations need to be have. Uh, need to be had that you should be conversing with your wife and not making pronunciations that the house is going to do something outside of the purview of her. But it's, you know, I, I, and I'm at fault of this as well, probably more so than anyone else. I have to stop and get it out of my, my vocabulary. Go ask your mother. I have to stop doing that. It's not her responsibility to be doing that. And then, or, or for me to chuckle and say, well, you know, when it comes to the big decisions, that's the ones I make. And there's never been a big decision. <laughs> right. You know, I, I shouldn't know. No. Yes. I converse with her. Yes. I, we, we are on the same page, but you know what, when it's inter and, and my wife is doing a very good job as she listens to the podcast, she's going to smile and bring this back up at me. But, but you know what, she's been doing a very good job because she's been finding that my son and her are, are clashing a lot. And she's finally said, you talk to him. This is what I would like to see. This is what needs. This is what we need to see. You talk to him, and you know what? She has every right and ability to to force me to be that role and to do that because that was my job. That's been my job, and that's the job that Adam had, and he failed miserably at it. He failed miserably at it. Yeah. So authority isn't just about having taking charge or being the boss. I think authority. It's just. For you, dear listener, as you're listening at this, this authority means also responsibility, and it, also, it it means a a high calling for the for uh, the men in our, our Christian men in our lives to be the spiritual heads of their household. It is not a figurehead. You're not just sitting there on some sort of a, a status where you get this cool status, but no responsibility whatsoever or no job whatsoever. But really, you're if you're if you're going to be like Christ. In your family, if you are going to be, because it talks about how Christ is the head of the church and so husbands should be the head of their households, if you're going to be that head, just look and see how much Jesus does for his church and how active he is in, in, in taking care of her. Now, now take this a step. Now take this as a step further, because I, I think what we have here, because it's framed really referencing towards women, right, in this section of of, mm-hmm. of First Timothy, um, chapter two. What is what is the point? And and I think here's the point that Paul is trying to make is is women, ladies, wonderful ladies, um, so beautiful and and so adorned you are, um, with wonderful gifts. Use them to kick the butt of your men 
to do the job that God has called them to do. <laughs> in, it's in not a wonderful, their charge inc- to do that. I mean, it's got guys should be doing that by themselves. They shouldn't. Need they to should. Get, they should not be like uh, boys that need their mom to nag after them. To and do. I agree, but but you know when he uses the words that you are that you are supposed to approach in submission that you're supposed to do these things that that becomes the auxiliary role of helper right that that's really what he's highlighting he's saying that that this that that the women are are in this role of of helper and helpmate um and sometimes husbands sometimes men in the congregation need to be reminded of their obligation and their privilege and and that is the role of a helpmate too um, you know, I don't think you would ever be opposed to your wife pulling you off to the side uh, after a conversation with the kids or a lack thereof and her saying, you, you fell flat here and, and, and reminding you this was your obligation and this was your responsibility. And she has done <clears throat> that. And, and uh, it, I've really always appreciated when she does do that because it's uh, oftentimes you say, you uh, as a head of the household, you need you need you need a helper to do it because otherwise you you'll fall into either you fall into some uh, sort of temptation where you go you get lazy and you say well everything's working fine so I don't need to change anything or you get selfish and you say I need my me time or I need this and uh, who I, my family is secondary here where you need someone in your household to say they need you here right or I need you here. Yeah. And, and and I need you to step up and do this. And so that's what I'm kind of saying that there's this 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 wonderful when and, and I see this section and I know it's not all just packed into this section, but it hits on a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is marriage. I love marriage. I think marriage is one of the greatest gifts outside of salvation in Jesus Christ and our personal walk in faith that God has given to the world. Um, that being said, you know, I and and maybe maybe you've Dear listener, you've heard this, and Dave, I think you're you're getting it. Um, I I don't pull punches when it comes to the expectation of men, and I don't pull punches when it comes to the the wonderful abilities God has given to women. But I do think that we have failed miserably as a church and as a culture um, because we are we are we are trying to tiptoe around the subject. God doesn't tiptoe around the subject. God, in the very beginning, said, I, it is not suitable for man to be alone. I will create a helper for him. How does she help? You know, sometimes, sometimes, yes, it might not be the best way of putting it, but sometimes I do need a swift kick in the butt because I, as a sinful person, sinful man, am not thinking the way I should be thinking. And and she is there to help me. Yeah, and just, dear listener, to get uh, go back to Genesis again when God says, dear helper, he needs a helper suitable for him. It's a word that he uses to describe himself in the psalm, that he is our helper. So it's not, not a derogatory term. And sometimes the Lord kicks us in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And it's not a derogatory. And I, and I don't mean this to be derogatory. And and, and, and thank you for bringing that up because I, I it has to be said, especially when we come to the end here, which is really going to be a challenge for, for us in the end of chapter 2. I do not want in any way, shape, or form to give the impression that I do not that I think women are incapable of great and wondrous and awesome things. They are. They are equal and on par with with their abilities of any man. Um, that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is that when God frames it in the church and he frames it in society and he frames it in the culture. He says that that even with all of these capabilities, one of the things, one of the callings that women particularly have is the call to, to how do, how do I want to put this? I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm being insulting, but one of their calls is to, is to pull back, to place themselves under a structure God has, has in, in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways to pull back and say, even though I am capable of taking the reins and doing this, this is not where God wanted me to be. Yeah. That, how, how, how is that for saying it? So I'm not yeah. trying to be, I don't want to be insulting and say that they don't have the ability to, because sometimes they have the ability to do it better than we do. That's, we've had that conversation, not we, but pastors have had this conversation a lot, is who are the ones in the church that are usually spiritually more mature? 
Women. It, it, the women are the ones. Who are the ones who are spiritually more engaged? Like they, they, they really appreciate what happens in church on Sunday and the means of grace and, and coming to the Lord's Supper. Who are the ones? The women. But yet, who are the ones that are called by God to be the leaders of the congregation? It's the men. And it's just, it's just, it seems to me, and we've, and pastors have said this, they said, if, and this is not a reason why we have men as pastors or men as leaders, but if we have women pastors or women leaders in the congregation, you would not see men again. They, why, so it's just one of those where, it, we see that interesting correlation. It's not the reason why men are leaders, not the reason why men are pastors, um, but you see this interesting dynamic that God has put in place where women, and we are oversimplifying and overgeneralizing, but women seem to be the ones who are spiritually more mature in the congregations, but yet they are not called to be the spiritual leaders. Right, but I think in their in their spiritual maturity, they, they place themselves into that structure um, by the by the the hand of the Lord, and they live out their faith in 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 doing so, um, which is a testimony to well should be a testimony to men to say, I need to be better for them, um, and and yeah, th- that's, that's such a good point. <laughs> yeah, um, you know that, and, and that's I, that's what I'm saying is is I'm I'm trying to say is, and I'm not I'm I'm. I know because I've had this conversation with women where they say, well, pastor, you know, we're just as capable. You are. And I'm not saying you're not, but I view it in terms of the military. Okay. And in terms of the military, there's a hierarchy. There's, there's, you have, you have the, the, the ones who are lower lieutenants. Hierarchy, trigger word. It is a trigger word. But in the military, there are, right? You, you know, a lieutenant is not a colonel. He just isn't. So if the colonel says do something, whether the whether whether um, the lieutenant necessarily thinks they should or not, they're still they're in that hierarchy of authority, and and resp- I should say a hierarchy of responsibility, maybe more than authority. They're a hierarchy of responsibility, and and they do it because the colonel has more responsibility. Now, does that always mean that the colonel has? All of the the knowledge, the basis, and the and the abilities that the lieutenant has, no. But the lieutenant was not given the responsibility to practice that in this circumstance, and I think that's where maybe we we have to start focusing when it comes down to this is to say that in in this framework that God has given to us, um, men take on the burden of responsibility. Um, go back into Romans. Who gets blamed for the fall? It's, it's not the women. It's by one man. Adam gets the blame, right? Um, notice in Ephesians, Paul does not say, mothers don't exasperate your children. Fathers don't exasperate your children. Um, I, in my, with my own mother, I think she exasperated me quite a bit, but God does not blame moms. He blames fathers. Right. Yeah. Even if Paul says here that it was the woman who was deceived and became the transgressor, he's—I don't think he is blaming her for nope. sin. He is not at all. He is just saying this is what happened. He's blaming Adam. He's blaming Adam because uh, he wasn't there; that he wasn't the head of the household. And uh, the roles that God has placed are good roles, and and that really closes off. That would really help us to understand verse thirteen because thirteen sounds. A lot worse than what it actually means. Uh, it says, For she will be saved while bearing children if they remain in faith and hope and love and sanctification with self-control. It sounds like women are saved by you know having children, which is not what, it, what Paul is talking about. He is talking about how the wonderful roles that God has placed at creation are still good things. They are still uh, things that... Uh, uh, are, have God's blessing. This is still things that God says, I can I can use these things. These are still things that are good in the church. And and to take it one step and further, society, yeah. they're reflections of. And and I think that's where you have it. And, and and I like how the EHV sort of separates it out. He says, and but she will be saved while bearing children. This is a good thing. But she's saved. Why? Because she remains in faith. Right? She she remains in love and she is sanctified. Um, so yeah, this goes back to, nope, it, it comes back down to Christ. It, it all comes back down to Christ, but, but in Christ, she understands I have an area of responsibility 
and and I can embrace that freely in Christ and engage with that. And and then on the opposite side, so so, so can men. Men have an area of responsibility, and I can engage that. You know, I can engage in that freely because of faith and love and and the sanctification that I have in Christ Jesus through the Spirit. Um, no, yeah. that is a really good way to approach it. Exactly, because it does serve as the filter for Scripture interpreting Scripture. If someone were just to read Genesis and see uh, uh, she's going to have difficulties in childbearing, you might get the impression that childbearing now has the taint of sin with it because there's a consequence. Just, I guess, you could look at it in terms of weeds, and, and that that that's a bad thing because there's weeds here while the while the guy is working in the fields. And you can get the impression that childbearing is now somewhat a, a lesser calling than something else because you have this consequence of sin because there's pain within in childbearing. Where Paul is saying, no, childbearing, having a, ch- a child, being a mom, is still a high and holy calling. Right, and it's an expression of your, it's an expression of your faith that you have in the Lord that He would He would give to you such a gift, um, and and allow you to share that with then with with another life. Um, that is something super huge, you know. Um, the old saying that that you know the um, the wife is the power behind the throne, the queen is the power behind the it's it's true, um, you know. Uh, he who rule or um, she rules the world who rocks the cradle, right? That that's another saying that that follows that idea of there is such a huge influence that that good Christian mothers have on on their children. Um, that is brought into the world that God blesses them with, that they can they can be a part of. Um, that's good. It, it, it is a wonderful, good and wonderful thing. Um, sin has made this whole entire conversation very uncomfortable um, because there's so many things that we have to jump through hoops and say, well, we can't say that in society today because it's not going to be received right. And we can't say this in society today because it's not going to be received right. And there's so many things that we have to almost jump through hoops for. And 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 so I, I maybe while we were talking, you were thinking, you know, like you had said, whoop, red flag, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> trigger, I, trigger. trigger warning, trigger warning. Um, you know, but the idea that that this conversation is going to have a lot of triggers in it because we are so petrified and afraid to have the true conversation in the framework that God has given it. And, and, and because of sin, we take everything in the worst possible light. Exactly. Cause this whole section deals with not yourself. And we talked about rights and service to others, praying for others. You're doing things for others and you're, you're having self-control and watching over your own life for the benefit of others. Now, who wants to hear about that? Who wants to hear about uh, the different roles in the family or different roles in the church? Because God put these in place to help one another, to help each other, to help the church, this community that God has given to us, this com- this community that's built up in faith through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, and who is the only reason why we can uh, have a family or a church to begin with.